0: Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic.
1: Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. This is your host, Jamar Tisby, and I am joined today by a frequent guest and a podcaster now in his own right, Pastor Aaron James. What's up, bro? What's going on, man? It's good to be here around your neck of the woods. Yes, yes. We are recording this in Chi-Town, baby. We are here for the official book launch of The Color of Compromise, but... Uh, just so you know we're not in our regular settings, uh, we're we're in an Airbnb now, which is quite nice. Hopefully we can come back here at some point. And so yeah, we're're we're, we're just having discussions, man, and we wanted to get into a topic that really touches on a lot of folks uh, who are on the team at the witness or either uh, listeners to pass the mic or followers on the blog. And that topic is sort of a dual topic of multi-ethnic churches and what a church could or should be. So can you flesh that out for us a little bit? This is something that has been very
0: close to home for me as a pastor as of late. Uh, Our our local church has gone through a name change, and not just a name change in the sense of rebranding, but a name change so that we could be uh, more faithful to what we believe the Lord has called and designed the local church to be. And so one of the things that, and we were just mentioning this earlier, is that personally, the work of the witness and, and what it is to, to be advocates in terms of centering black voices and, and, and recognizing the dignity of the black church tradition and the contributions of black Christians throughout the history of the church. Having that flesh itself out in the here and now within the context of the local church is very, very important for us. And so it is necessary that the type of work that we do and, uh, here at the witness and the things that we want to see happen, these things should not be missing from the life of the local church. Okay, It's very important that there be a synergy, a partnership uh, um, between the work of the witness and the local church, I believe. I think that's very, very so important. So you felt
1: a disconnect. Yes. How did that look?
0: The disconnect looks like, honestly, as a pastor, there are things that we should address. There are issues that we should speak to, um, because I believe the the justice of god demands it and i found that it was a lot easier to be expressive within the, the 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 medium of the witness than it was within a local church context because of the pushback and the accusations and the hateful emails and losing members uh all uh-huh. of those things that that we've walked through and there comes a point where you just have to be honest and by God's grace, courageous to say, "Listen, uh, I'm pers- I, I'm tired of the disconnect. Right? Wow. That 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 the same pastoral voice that I have within the context of the witness, it would not be genuine. It wouldn't be, um, just wouldn't be right not to have that same voice within a local church. Wow. And it's not that I have been two different people, but I've noticed, quite honestly, again, the tendency to be more timid." Within the local church setting, because of the pushback and and the the negative feedback that. that and so you you're get as you're a talking
1: result. specifically about when you talk about sort of like race and justice issues, probably any sort of issues of public justice generally that you know we 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 kind of categorize as. Uh, partisan. You know, it yes. could be liberal, or it could be conservative, it could be Republican or Democrat. And then the pushback you get from parishioners. Now, is this all parishioners, or does it fall along racial or ideological lines? Predominantly, it's fell along racial lines, Yeah.
0: Um, where I've been approached to say, well, maybe if you would just let the congregation know uh, or let certain people in the congregation know what your party affiliation is that oh. would kind of put to bed the fears of the people that maybe you're liberal or you're a Democrat or something like that. wait 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 because yeah
1: yeah, no joke. <laughs> so they wanted you to come out and say you're a Republican yes. so that they can trust you. yes Wow.
0: And so these are the type of conversations that I've actually engaged in with real people. Real church members. And, um, and what, what kind of stirred up these fears is when you come to a text. Uh, let me give an example. So preaching through the gospel of Matthew, where Jesus reaffirms the, the greatest commandments, where he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And, and his answer is basically love God, love your neighbor. And in studying that, going back to the context of when the Lord first gave the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself is Leviticus 18. And when you go and you read Leviticus 18, it speaks of how we treat immigrants, how we treat poor people, how we treat the disabled, how we treat women. And so in dealing with those things and talking about the compassionate, loving response that we should, as all believers representing the kingdom of God and being in line with the nature and the character of God, how we should engage. All of humanity, you would think that that would be accepted, and and but yet through eyes of suspicion um, and and very truncated, narrow views of what the faith
1: is yep. uh, among some, it's viewed more as a liberal agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's so many layers and. Issues with the idea of somebody walking up to their pastor and saying, "Tell us your party affiliation." So, period, right? Like, yes, a that shouldn't factor into the equation of whether you can do your job of pastoring well or not. Um, and then, b the 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 sort of I don't know if they said this explicitly or not, but I just listening to you, I caught on what they were trying to do is say assert your politically conservative bona fides so that people in the congregation won't think you're one of the libs and sort of discount what you're saying, which tells you how sort of politicized, not just politicized, but, but partisan, um, our, our, our churches and the people in the pews have become right. So a lot of times the attention is on folks who have a platform or a mouthpiece for some reason, but it's not on the congregation. It's not on the everyday people who you as a local church pastor, you deal with on the front lines day in and day out, and you know, their beliefs. So that's one of the things that, um, just comes up again and again even in my ministry whether it's uh online through through blogging or social media it's 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 the dual idea of one group of people says well Jamar we know you're quote unquote sound so why don't you you know assert that a little bit more uh nobody's told me to tell yeah. <laughs> my party affiliation per se but they'll do it with theology they'll do it with um you know They'll, they'll say, well, since you went to this seminary or, or learned under these people, we know your theology is good, so why don't you talk more about the Bible? And that way people will trust you. Um, which let me remind people, at this point, most of my training is in academic history. So m- much of my content is coming from a historian's perspective. So if you don't hear a Bible verse every other sentence from me, it's not because I don't respect The Bible, that's right, or love Jesus, is because I'm coming at it from a different discipline. But then, on the um, another group of people will say, "Well, you don't need to listen to him at all because he's not conservative either politically or theologically." In their view, which gets to the question of who appointed you as the gatekeeper for all this stuff, yeah. But you're you're in the midst of a multiracial congregation, right? Yes. So that's some dynamics there too.
0: That there is. And one of the things that you have to be actively engaged in and intentional about is that when you desire to build, um, a multi-ethnic ministry, first of all, I believe that our desire should be to build something that reflects the nature of, of, of God's people, right? The composition of the church, uh, and being faithful to that and then flowing out of that, Genuinely reflecting the makeup of your community. Um, And that's across uh, ethnic lines and uh, nationalistic lines and and socioeconomic lines as well. Um, And so, but specifically, being careful not to simply have an ethnic mixture within the church— but only one culture being
1: represented. Watch it, watch it, watch and, it. And
0: so I have, I have been a part of churches, or, or I should say, I have served in spaces as a pastor that, that, that were labeled multi-ethnic. But the more I served and the more you kind of dig into it, what you find is, yes, there are Black and Latino, Hispanic, asian believers uh and even indigenous believers in these spaces but the expectation is that we all conform to the cultural norms of whiteness
1: yes yep.
0: and that multi-ethnic
1: is but monocultural
0: multi-ethnic but monocultural and um you know from an ecclesiastical standpoint to me that's that's plantational. <laughs> wow. Uh, and and I've talked I've talked about that before, um, because you look up and like okay they're different people but there's not space. For the variety of cultures to be celebrated in genuine community And so if we have genuine community if we have fellowship one of the meanings of the word fellowship is the sharing of life And 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 who god has created us uniquely to be and if there is not space for each culture to be celebrated and recognized And and to recognize the dignity and the beauty and the unique histories and heritages of each culture Then I don't believe we're doing it Right, right uh, And that's fleshed out in a number of ways. It's fleshed out in preaching if we're not careful mm-hmm. uh, in music, uh, in the way we do small groups, the type of subjects that, that we talk about yes and yes. Uh, whether or not we confront the idols within our unique cultures and communities that need to be confronted.
1: And on the preaching tip, I think it's it's critical that you mention that. And most people will think of sort of the aesthetics of preaching, you know, the preaching style, how it sounds auditorially, and whether they're doing the hoop or the traditional black preaching style versus a more sort of staid, uh, stereotypical white style. I think that's part of it. But to your point, the topics that we choose to address, whether in Bible study, Sunday school, or from the pulpit, that's actually a part of preaching and the culture that's promoted at the church as well. So what topics do you promote and really go after? What topics do you avoid and, and sort of mute? And so when I talk to people about what a truly multi-ethnic church would look like or could look like, I say, you know, down to what illustrations is the preacher using in the sermon. Um, just to date myself a little bit, if you use a reference to Seinfeld and you trying to be a multi-ethnic church, well, any person of color is probably not going to have the same cultural touch point to that pop culture television show or Friends, yeah. you know, as opposed to Living Single, you know, um, and it gets down to that nitty-gritty detail and it's not just enough to say oh we welcome everybody or we want everybody or even to have folks in the church building if you're not thinking with that level of fine-grained detail if i say this person's name or if i reference this author or theologian how is that going to land on the ears of my brothers and sisters who are racial and ethnic minorities in yes. america um and i find that pastors they, they kind of think about it, but here's the thing about many multi-ethnic churches and fellowships, whether you know a nonprofit or whatever, that I've been involved in, is folks don't realize how strong the pull is toward white culture, such that if you do not intentionally seek to incorporate other cultures and highlight and celebrate other cultures, it will automatically default to white culture. Yes. Automatically. It doesn't matter who's in the building. And and we perpetuate this even, I think, with some of the models of multi-ethnic ministry, where um, it's still a bunch of white pastors who want to plant multi-ethnic churches, which I'm not going to stifle the spirit at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but just realize that's going to create a hurdle as well. And also examine your own heart to say, why do I need to be the guy? Yeah, You know, why not somebody who's a person of color, um, who on the visual, at least the sort of introductory stage, that stuff matters a whole lot. Who's the actual leader, meaning who has the actual power? Is it is it people who are... Defaulting to white cultural norms or or some folks who have different experiences. And uh, the other thing is, I always recommend the book by Cory L. Edwards, People of the Dream. Have you read that one? No, I've not read that. So she talks about. You always about, give me
0: the greatest reading material.
1: man. Like, <laughs> you've cost me so much money, man. Look, but, <laughs> No, it's an we investment. Got to equip ourselves. <laughs> um, but she talks about how even in so a, I think a local congregation can start to overcome this and be a richly multi ethnic, multicultural environment. But even then, your local congregation, if it's part of a broader fellowship like a church planting network or a denomination that's still predominantly white it's going to exert pressure on your individual congregation, too. Yes. So it's not even just about what's happening in the four walls of your church. It's about what are the other external forces that are pushing you? I got so much to say. Let me shut up. No, you're fine. What are you saying, man? Because I make the same argument, you know? I make the same
0: argument that within multi-ethnic church spaces in particular, the default setting is whiteness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so if we're not actively engaging that and actively... Guarding against that. It's not saying that white sisters and brothers within the congregational life shouldn't be represented, but that should not be the only representation, whether culturally and preaching and go. illustrations and things of that nature. And so as a pastor, as a preacher, you have to be subversive uh to, to guard against that. And one of the things, like you mentioned, the examples that we use, uh song selection, yep. and even the thinkers and theologians that you quote and place before the people. Exactly. And who you study as you yes. do in your sermon prep. Absolutely. Yep. And so, for instance, when I quote, if like if I quote Augustine, I make it a point to point out that Augustine was an African theologian, mm-hmm. because you would be surprised, the people that assume that these great thinkers throughout the history of the church, that even the reformers built on their thoughts and stood on their shoulders uh, in the years of the Reformation, you would be surprised the
1: assumption that
0: these were Europeans, mm-hmm. that they were white. Yeah. When in
1: reality- If it's good out. theology, clearly it's come from a European. No. Exactly. Yeah. And you
0: could hear some of the heads turn, like again, if I talk about Athanasius or something like that- you the know, black like dwarf. The black dwarf. You know, I like that one. Which I like him because he was short with a beard and dark, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, hey, Athanasius, you're <laughs> see, my I, hero. I, I, yeah, you exactly. Know, right? And so, you know, but you could even see some of the heads like, huh, I didn't know that. Or if I quote Bonhoeffer, Now I'm careful to point out the fact that, that cheap grace and, and, and costly grace were not concepts that he developed within a vacuum, like on his own, that he, he, he received, he he developed those concepts. He got those ideas within the context of a black church in Harlem. Wow. To point that out, you know, these things are very important because what it does is I see it as You know the pastor's work isn't like you're not trying to create like this this painting or this sculpture within a day, but you 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 chisel and and with each brushstroke it's it's a long game that you have to play, and so you purposefully inject these principles, these truths, these realities that give dignity to black people and people of color into the life and the consciousness of the church. Yeah, and this has to be done over time. Yeah, because. Culture is a powerful thing massively um, and, and, and speaking very plainly white centeredness and white supremacy these things are are these things are in, entrenched within the consciousness of people to, to, to the point to where they they're believers and you 're like i 'm fine i 'm good you right. know but then you start to press and push, and then you discover that these things are are ever present. And, and so you have to constantly in a way that is redemptive and gracious and and yes even subversive at time, push back against these things and that pressure has to be constant since I believe that the default setting is white centered
1: and I think that exactly that white centeredness, which means we have to decenter whiteness and recenter people who have been at the margins, and their cultures which have been at the margins, which requires constant maintenance, constant thought. It's a constant project because if you stop, then it will bend back towards yes. white culture. And so what that looks like is you actually are, are, are in terms of your, your study and your equipping and even your vocalization, you are very intentionally centering uh, the people, the lives, the experiences of historically marginalized communities, which then, for white people, will feel almost offensive for some. Yes, depending on where they are in their stages of of sort of development, is going to feel offensive because it's going to feel like, oh, you're 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 not paying attention to me, and it's not that; it's the fact that we've always paid attention to you. And now we're trying to do this thing that truly honors diverse ethnicities, races, and cultures. And what that requires of us is that everything that happens outside these walls, which is so centered on whiteness and white normativity, that's different inside here. So it should not be a surprise that you feel differently. When you walk into a church from a world, from a nation and a society— That is literally built around you and elevating you. And then you come into a church that's really trying to act like the church and say, well, all cultures and all people made in God's image can be redeemed and there are things to celebrate about them. And that's not the norm outside. It's going to feel very unusual. Yes. And I think at that point, there are a lot of people who say, well, this isn't right because it feels uncomfortable. Well, let me tell you something. This is how racial and ethnic minorities, especially black people, feel every day. Every day. Every day. In a million different ways. So I I find that there are a lot of pastors who only go as fast as the most vocal white member will let them. My goodness. If that makes sense. That what, makes sense. What I'm saying is pastors may have, or church leaders in general may have ideas and thoughts and convictions about what their multi-ethnic church should look like and, and how it should feel and what they should do, but they won't go there because they're afraid of the pushback of white members who aren't where they are. And I find that is actually centering whiteness, because you're not thinking about the concerns of black people That's right. or other people of color and where they are. We saw this, for example, in uh, the case of Black Lives Matter the ferguson uprising as one particular event but but all the cascade of events uh that we were basically talking about law enforcement and police brutality right and what a pastor would choose to address and the way they would choose to address it to me was very telling so some pastors remained completely silent when there was this issue of of it, it was it made national headlines everybody's talking about it outside the church but they didn't say nothing in the church then there are the pastors who would mention it but in sort of a non-controversial way, so they they pray for it, which is not bad. Yeah, pray yeah. for it, but it's also not an exposition of the event or informing people how they should be processing this as believers. And then there are some pastors who went all in, right? Like they they said, "I have a sermon series. I'm going to put that on pause. I'm going to address this specific issue." And I'm not saying you have to do that every time, but what are you willing to do? And and for what issues? Because it may be that pastors are willing to go all the way in, but not on issues of race or justice. Yes. Uh, So, yeah, I've I've seen that a lot. And that's, to me, as a congregation member, what frustrates me often in in these churches that profess to be multi-ethnic, but you're really catering to the sensibilities of white people, or to use a a popular but controversial phrase, white fragility. To be
0: prophetic, you have to be willing to embrace the margins— And you have to be also willing to embrace loss. And so after Charlottesville, I had a sermon plan. And the Lord just began to stir within my spirit. And I'm sitting in my office on Saturday night just wrestling. uh, And I realized that I could not preach the message that I was going to preach, that I had planned to preach earlier in the week, that I had to address this issue And I felt very strongly, um, you know, by the Lord's leading that I had a responsibility that next, the the, the next morning on Sunday to outright denounce white supremacy, number one, from the pulpit, and to also begin to bring uh, just a a survey of the black experience on American soil Mm. and I was just a mess that Sunday. I was a mess Saturday night cuz I just the Lord wouldn't let me off the hook. Mm. And I realized something in that and it's I didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but I knew I had to do it. Um and so I preached the message. I ended up like just weeping halfway through it because when you begin to recount the black experience on American Lord soil, have mercy. It is heavy tell me tell and me it. it 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 provokes lament and sorrow and because it's <laughs> I mean it's it's full f- filled with uh, atrocities and injustices that you know uh, that are well known and and stories that are also obscure yes there are stories that still have never been told yes I preached that message and we we lost members. Um, All you did was
1: recount the experience? Yeah. We lost members.
0: I was accused of being a racist. Of course. And But you know what? It's pastor's understanding that our definition of success has nothing to do with our level of popularity, but it has everything to do with whether or not we are obedient to the leading of God's Spirit, and we are truthful to what Scripture teaches and proclaims. Mm. And so we have to understand that people come and people go but the word of the Lord abides forever.
1: My goodness.
0: And so the trouble is when our the way in which we pastor and the way in which we speak, when we attach those things to our livelihood, and I'm not trying to put pressure on anybody else, but but here's where I've landed. The church isn't mine. The church belongs to Christ. And how my family is provided for And how our needs are met isn't primarily my responsibility. It's God's responsibility. And so it's, is it scary sometimes? Jamar, it's scary sometimes. Yeah. Like there are times where I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but at the end of the day, it's recognizing that I am accountable to the chief shepherd as to how I conduct myself within the house of God and, 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 and what I preach from the pulpit. And so I would, Personally, I would much rather be pleasing to God and not offensive to the Holy Spirit. And uh if that means being offensive to people hmm. and uh being misunderstood, we've got to make that trade. It's it's
1: worth it yeah. to, to bear that integrity and to maintain that integrity. So much of this boils down to courage. It really, really, really does. I love that that you said this is this is God's church. So if the congregation chooses to go a different direction with a pastor because they don't like what you're saying as you're speaking truth as you're preaching prophetically, it doesn't actually mean you did something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, as we sort of wrap here, what we're talking about is what a church could or should be, particularly in a multi ethnic context. And can we give folks some super practical steps? Like one, I would have is if you have the responsibility of preaching, challenge yourself to prep an entire sermon or even a whole sermon series using only people of color as your theological resources. Um, And it may be that your sermon ends up sounding exactly the same, Uh, but it may be also... That you get some different insights. Why? Not because eternal truth changes or is malleable, but the application is contextual. And so, coming from a a person who's Native American or African American or who has grown up in South Africa, it's going to sound different because those contexts are different. Also, even if it doesn't sound drastically different, if you cite those folks in your sermon, they're going to sort of expand the library of your congregation, uh, right. not just intellectually, but what what it'll do is say that people of color can be theological authorities too, and that's what we're really getting at. It's not like a quota that we need to Absolutely. check a certain box from. What we what we're getting at with this is we can learn theology and Bible from more than just white European men. Yes that there are people all over the world who have studied the Word of God and have uh, beneficial things to say, but if we don't ever highlight them or utilize them to inform us, then what we're doing is tacitly saying, no, we only trust this group of people to to inform us.
0: That's that's great. I love that. And I got an idea from one pastor where even when you quote theologians of color, don't just say their names, but even include their pictures. What? Okay. For your congregation okay. to see that they are black theologians and, and theologians of color That's for good. them to actually have that visual. The biggest thing I would say besides that um, would be to take the time to listen to the people that the Lord has called you to serve and shepherd. And so when something happens, or even if there's not some big event that makes the national news, take the time to gather the ethnic minorities together within the church and begin to ask questions like this. What are your biggest hopes what are your biggest fears? What are the things that concern you? Do you feel heard here? Do you feel represented in the life of the church here in our liturgy from Sunday to Sunday mm. um, what is it that's drawn you here yeah. you know yeah. um and have you always felt welcomed and celebrated here? Wow if th- these things To ask those questions and to engage the ethnic minorities within the congregation in that way, Uh, that's shepherding. And it's very important. Every member should have a voice. Every member should be heard. Every member means something. God has no spare parts. And to take the extra time to listen, not to talk. Don't come with anything prepared to say necessarily as a pastor.
1: Come ready to listen and to learn. You know what? Even having a pastor ask me those questions, regardless of the answers, just making that gesture would already make me feel more inclusive, included. I mean, that would, just the gesture itself would be so powerful. Well, there's so much more to say on this topic. Um, I know there's a lot of us who uh, are are in these spaces. So we hope this conversation is helpful. And here's one of the things I love about having Aaron James on the show is he has, he's a pastor, he's a local church pastor and he can bring these real, I'm all, you know, in these books and these theories <laughs> and all this stuff, talking to all these people, but you are actually hearing from these folks so if you like this kind of conversation what happens at the local church level what's going on with real people uh who are coming to your church week in and week out listen to our brand new podcast which is part of the witness podcast suite theology q a with aaron james he's answering pastoral questions from a pastor's perspective season one is out now subscribe rate and review thanks very much for joining us again pastor always a pleasure brother